Gospel according to John, the third chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. This is the continuation of what Mary started. Nicodemus said to Jesus, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you a teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can, I, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The Gospel of the Lord. So I'm thinking people fall into one of two categories on this particular topic. Uh, when you receive a gift card, are you the type of person who then makes sure that you spend that gift card within a week or two of having received it? How many of you are in that category? A couple hands go up. How many of you have a little gift card bin, and you get that little gift card, and you think, oh, yeah, I'll spend that pretty soon, and you put it in that little bin, and like a year later, that gift card is still sitting in that little bin. How many of you do that? Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. That's what the Horner-Eibler family does. We have this like ever-growing thing of gift cards. And gift cards are really cool. It's a great gift. So finally, uh, we've resolved. Okay, we're going to use some of these. So last Monday night, Barb and I went out on date night. And so we had not one but two gift cards to this one restaurant. So we had a really nice meal. And then we have like three AMC theater gift cards. So we go to Mayfair. And we're going to go to a movie at 745 at Mayfair. And we're standing in line, and we actually go to a live human being. It's like an 18-year-old woman who's sitting there. She's selling us our tickets. And she looks at us, and she says, would, would you like the senior citizen rate? <laughs> so we, we had been having like a super good time up to this point. But we were composed. We hung in there with it. And we said, well, like, how old do you have to be to get the senior citizen rate? 60. So Barb and I look at each other, and we say, we both qualify. And then, without skipping a beat, she immediately says, oh, you know, I wouldn't have even believed it if you two would have qualified. You look so young. She was so convincing and authentic. And we didn't even think to say to her, like, well, then what did you ask us for in the first place? Uh, however, if, if you've grown up in Wisconsin, you're kind of cheap, which I think we all are if you grew up in the state. I mean, just think of it. We went on gift cards, and then we got a discount. So we went for less than free. It was beautiful. How many of you have seen Parasite? That's what we were going to see. Ooh, boy, not a lot of people. Not a lot of people. A couple people went to see it. Uh, so I'd recommend it. it uh, it's, it's dark, uh, but it's got its, its uh, entertaining moments. Uh, and I don't think any of this is a spoiler alert, but I, you know you could read this in the in the review. So the basic premise of the movie is is the intersection of a, of a, a rich family and a much poorer family, and what happens when their lives crisscross. Um, and uh, I don't think it's a spoiler alert either to say that there's this scene in the middle of the movie where, where the, most of the, the poor family ends up in a shelter. And it's kind of a cool scene that's shot from, about, down, from above looking down on their faces. They're lying on these mats with all of these other people, kind of like in a gymnasium. 
and, and the uh, young adult son turns his head and says to his father, so what's our plan? And, you know, there's this long silence, and the father says, do you think all these people planned to be in this shelter? There is no plan. And, and, and then what's interesting, as if to confirm that, is you get to the second to last scene in the movie, which is the big scene, and everybody comes into that scene with a plan. And nobody's plan works. And so you could walk away from the movie with a sense that everything about life is, is chaotic and meaningless. But I, I actually don't think that that was the point of the movie. I think instead probably what the point of the movie was that, that all of the plans that were concocted ultimately were extraordinarily about self and at some level extraordinarily hurtful to others, and those plans perhaps do not come to fruition, almost as if some cosmic wind blows against them. This gets us to today's gospel lesson from John chapter 3. It contains maybe one of the best known or best known, the best known verse in the Bible, John 3.16. As always, it's good to know the context of the story, so let's review a little bit. It's the scene where this guy comes to Jesus at night. That literally means night, but it also means a sense of spiritual darkness. There's a sense of lostness to Nicodemus as he comes to Jesus. And, and that's even though he's a Pharisee. The Pharisees, by the way, are you. They're not me. In other words, they're not religious professionals, but they are passionate lay people, which you all are. I know that. Uh, so passionate that they would have learned all of the 632 laws of Moses and they attempted to abide by every single one of them. And frequently they are opposed to Jesus because they feel like he bends the rules too much, but they also kind of seem like the loyal opposition in the Gospels, sometimes warning Jesus of the danger in which he seems to place himself. And so this particular Pharisee, Nicodemus, comes to Jesus at night and starts asking him questions, and Jesus uses not one, not two, not three, not four, but five comparisons or metaphors to try and get at something that, that Nicodemus could not get his brain around. And, and so you kind of know the progression. You must be born again. That doesn't work. You must be born of water and the Spirit. That didn't really work for Nicodemus. Uh, it, the Spirit, you know... It's like the wind, it blows. You don't know where it comes from or where it's going, but that's how the Spirit of God works. And that wind blows ultimately so that just like Moses lifted up a serpent in the wilderness, the Son of Man will be lifted up. And then the last one is that God so loved the world that God gave an only special Son so that anybody who had any ounce of belief would be saved. And as far as we can tell at this point in the story, none of that works for Nicodemus. He's still in the darkness of night. Probably because there were two things about that that were, I, I think, maybe impossible for him to immediately comprehend. Because to this very day, I think most people who are religious still think like this. And I, and I think the first thing that he couldn't wrap his head around was, was, that, was the, the idea that God somehow controls it all, has a plan for it all, judges it all. 
And, and Jesus is trying to gently say, you know, um, unconditional love doesn't work that way, and actually the wind doesn't work that way either. It kind of comes and goes. If you plan to sail across your particular sea this day, you might be becalmed, so you'll need a different plan. You've got to kind of let God be God. And then the, the second thing that I think was really hard for him to understand was the for God so loved the world. I think religion to this very day, including big parts of Christianity, um, don't really think that God loved the whole world. God maybe totally loved anybody who believes the right way and agrees with me. I mean, there's plenty of that going around in the religious world. But a God who so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes, and believe doesn't mean a, 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 like a doctrinal assent thing. That just means kind of reaches out, tries to hang on to something that comes to us from Jesus. For anybody who even reaches out in the littlest of way, man, there is unconditional love. And I don't think we wrap our minds around that very well. Maybe a, the best parallel I can think of that, that I kind of encounter a lot, less so I think a, bit, a little bit nowadays, is, is just how, how do you go about parenting your one-year-old, your 18-year-old, your 36-year-old? You're 60 year old in today's world. I mean, once you start out as a parent, you're always one. And even if you aren't a physical parent, most of us have a lot of interaction with other people that we're mentoring or teaching or something. And if, if you stick specifically with parenting, I'm, I'm struck so often how if you ask people to fill in this, this line, um, uh, the, most important parent, the most important thing a parent does for their children is what? Listen, that's a great answer. Uh, the, the one that, fortunately, nobody immediately said it. I'm not quite sure how I'd handle it if you did. But uh, so often I've heard over the years, discipline, the most important thing a parent does is discipline their child. Um, I think the, the best answer is the most important thing a parent does is love their child, kind of obvious. Uh, I think discipline is like 25th on the list, if even. Um, in, in other words, when you think of our God and unconditional love in a parent, uh, the most important things a parent does is love their child, play with their child, teach their child how to read, roast marshmallows and look at the stars in the middle of the night with their child, sing with their child, create something out of blocks with their child, um, get their child enough things so that their child can entertain themselves, um, teach your child to notice people enough to actually talk to them and then you won't be afraid of them, and perhaps you can love your neighbor as yourself if you've actually had an opportunity to meet them. These are life lessons. These are the things that, that parents, what one generation passes on to the next when we are at our best. See, that's, a, that's another thing that I think is really unique about today's gospel lesson. It's not like this is, a, this is all over the place in the Gospels, but I think our normal way of kind of thinking about Jesus is Jesus comes down 
to us sinners and kind of gets into the quagmire of human life and is there beside us. He's Emmanuel, and certainly that's a huge part of our gospel tradition. But it, it's really clear that actually what, what he's trying to convey and what John's gospel is trying to tell us in today's gospel lesson is the alternative way of looking at that is lifted up on the cross. In other words, rather than God coming down to us, Jesus tries to lift us up to God tries to blow us in the direction of our better selves. It's a profoundly hopeful, enlightening, day-breaking sort of way of understanding life and the gospel. You know, a couple things I didn't mention on my list of what parents should do for their kids. You should pray with them. You should bring them to church. Church is kind of a weird place nowadays, honestly. Because there are no trophies here, no select teams. Um, in other words, there's almost nothing transactional about coming to church. And we live in a really transactional world where, where whatever you do, there's got to be some obvious outcome. There needs to be a plan that's driving in some direction. Church isn't that way. Church is about slowing down. Church is about doing some work on yourself. Church is about leaving and knowing who you are and what you're connected to. It's totally different. And I, I think that's increasingly why people don't come. They, they, they don't get it at some level. Or there's no transaction to complete. It makes a lot of sense that Nicodemus left that night still in the dark. But do you know the rest of his story? Later in this gospel, when the council is deliberating about what they should do with Jesus, Nicodemus objects to their purposes. And then once Jesus is dead and on the cross in the other gospels, Joseph of Mary of Mathia comes to bury Jesus, and he does as well in John's Gospel, but who's with him in this Gospel? It's Nicodemus. Talk about a non-transactional moment. Jesus dies with all enemies, no friends. Who would want to bury him? But this Nicodemus, who had come in the dark, now he walked in the light. He understood what Jesus represented, unconditional love. He would take any risk to bury a man like that. I don't think it's a spoiler alert to say that one of the other things that's kind of interesting about Parasite, the movie, is that the opening and closing scenes are the same as if nothing had changed in between. The one thing that's a little different, though, is that in the first scene, there is no wind. But in the second scene, there is. You feel and hear the sound of the wind. You don't know where it comes from or where it goes. Such is the spirit of God in your life. To trust that is to be alive, people.
and it is to be lifted up. Done.